Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Kim, and I am your host this evening. And we have Victoria on the line as well, who's going to be my co-host. We're excited to introduce you to our guest this evening. But first, we've got to take care of the business. So um, here at NASCA, we have a single purpose, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violence or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, excuse me, worldwide problem that affects everyone. And two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And you can find some of that information um, on our NASCA website. It's nasca.org, N-A-A-S-C-A.org. And when you are on our website, you can find also previous scans that we've done. Tonight we're on scan number 3063, but you can go there and you can listen to any of them. We'd love to have you. And Or if you'd like to join us in the studio this evening and just be a part of our panel and ask our guests some questions, we'd love to have you on that as well. So our guest call-in number is 646-595-2100. And again, we are on scan number 3063. And um, this evening's guest is Ruby Clark from Peterson, New Jersey, a child sexual abuse survivor who's appeared for the, who, who will be appearing for the first time on the show. Um, Ruby is the chief executive director and founder of Ruby's Vision Inc. So among other things, they provide supportive services to mothers and their children who are affected by homelessness. Their housing and homeless shelter and the resource center 
help transitioning mothers and their children who are affected. And it sounds just like an amazing um, organization, and I, I'd love to hear more about it. We are um, going to need to stop maybe for a few minutes because I'm not sure where she is, but hopefully she'll hop on here any minute and tell us more about her organization. I'd love to hear more about it. But in the meantime, I guess um, we can just talk. Victoria, how are you this evening? <laughs> oh, I'm doing okay. A little tired. My yep. service uh, dog is uh, sacked out here next to me, and his name's Marshmallow. Uh- and he's a Bashan. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, um, been homeless quite a few times. Matter of fact, if I'd have got kicked out of the last place, I'd have been homeless 20 times in my life. And, oh, well, uh, I'm sorry. I have, a, I have a YouTube video on from 2010 when I was out in Houston, Texas. And uh, they did a video of me, and I didn't know how bad I looked or how bad what I was saying was and emailed it to my kids. And then I ended up going to a place for people with long-term mental health issues and got beat over the head with a broom to make a long story short. And they dumped me at the psych uh-huh. ward saying, this lady isn't making sense. Not not they beat me over the head with a broom handle or mop handle. Yeah. And uh, after five days, I didn't even know who I was. After five days, I finally talked to a psychiatrist and she took pity on me that one of the throw me out on the street. So she's like, uh, you said you had two kids. And I says, yeah. She says, well, maybe I could call me. You know how to get a hold of them. I go, no. <laughs> and so she, um, she said, does anybody know? I says, well, my mom does, but she's the reason I'm on the streets because she was ballistic on me when I was living with her down there. And so anyway, she called my mom and got my daughter's number. And she talked to her for, I don't know, three or four days, and I refused to get on the phone kept saying I want to be a burden on my kids, you know, and come back to Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I finally got on the phone with my daughter, and my daughter was like, well, Mom, you know, uh, Texas has the worst mental health system, and Minnesota is the best. I'm like, yeah, I know. And then she says, I says, I'm not coming back. I don't want to be a burden on you guys. And she says, well, if you were here, I could help you. And I, no, no, I ain't coming. Well, the third one was a hook. You could die out there any day, and Rick and I wouldn't even know it. And I went, okay, I'll yeah. get on a Greyhound. <laughs> and I came back to Minnesota. And yeah, it's it's been a struggle here and there, but I'm in a really good place right now. Um, my son helped me get a, a duplex. And uh, I told him after I got it, I says, I've never felt better physically, emotionally, or spiritually. He goes, really, Mom? I go, yeah. I said, uh, this is the first time in my whole life I felt stable, you know. I said, I'm a fantastic landlord, and if I have mental health issues or physical issues, I know I'm not going to be out on the street, and I'm not going to get threatened like I did in the last place I was at, which was assisted living, every day that I'm going to get kicked out. So that really makes a big difference. Growing up in abuse, I never, you know, I never had stability. So, yeah, it was the first time I've ever felt stable. Makes a difference. And you you repaired your relationship with Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I lost touch with him because mm-hmm. I was living with my mom and she she had quit drinking, so I figured, oh well maybe, you know, I didn't grow up with her or anything and maybe get to know my mom. But, you know, she yeah. quit drinking but she's a workaholic. <laughs> she switched addiction. Wow. And worked me from morning to the night for I don't know how many years. 
And I just, I, I had no time to think straight to even, you know, connect with my kids. So I lost, yeah. kind of lost track of them. And they kind of lost track of me. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm grateful, you know, I, I got 36 yeah. years sober and the people talk to me and they're like, oh, this is bad, that's bad. I go, well, what are you grateful for? Nothing. I got nothing to be grateful for. And I says, well, <laughs> you need to write down three things a day. I said, and I'll even help you for the first day. Oh, you will? I go, yeah, food, shelter, and clothing. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just take stuff yeah. for granted, you know. Right. And I said, sometimes you have to, you know, really look around to be find something to be grateful for. But, you know, you yeah. intentionally have to find something. <laughs> right. You kind of, sometimes you do. You're right. Yeah. And I've never you know, experienced just, that degree. I I feel yeah. homeless right now because of my husband and I'm <laughs> bouncing all, yeah. I'm going over, you know, from my daughters to um, my other daughter, and and then I'm also mm-hmm. staying at the house at times. So yeah, um, I have a yeah, place. So you, you know, pretty much are sterile, but yeah, you pretty much are in the situation of homelessness because you don't have yeah. a stable home. Right, I'm not. You know, yeah, we don't like to think that yeah. way of it, but it, but it really is true if I you don't have. <laughs> right. Yeah, and there was well, there was one just one time when I was a teenager, I think I was 17, and my boyfriend and I decided to run away. His, we had come, well, I was living in Washington State. Our family moved out there during my high school years to open a uh-huh. restaurant with my uncle, and then I met my boyfriend out there, and then the the restaurant went under, and mm-hmm. um, and we decided to come back to Colorado, my parents and I came back with them and we brought my boyfriend with us. But uh-huh. little did I know that my parents and his mom were, were, you know, saying, well, this is just going to be a short time and then we're going to ship him to Florida to be with uh-huh. his grandma. And so by the time they told us that they were going to make him go to Florida, we were like, no way I'm going with him. So we basically ran away and ran to Florida. Oh, yeah. And I, I felt some homelessness. I mean, when, when we got there, of course, we were able to go live with his grandma, but then his grandma immediately didn't like me. She thought I was a bad influence on him or something. He was oh, yeah. the one that was a <laughs> bad influence, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Not my sweet grandson. But um, mm. we basically just slept with some on friends' couches until we came back to Colorado. Yeah, but, um, that's a, that's a really I, easy feeling when when you don't you don't know where you're gonna be, you know. There's no guarantee that you're gonna be able to stay there. <laughs> right, yeah. and we ended up staying at one guy's house, but it, he was actually he was still living with his parents. Yeah, and we ended up staying, and a couple other people were over. You know, we were like partying the night before, and um. Yeah. We wake up in the morning and his parents, or his, yeah, his parents who had come home maybe early or something, I don't even remember what the situation was, but they threw all his crap outside on the lawn. <laughs> so apparently they didn't like us there. <laughs> I guess we <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it, it was interesting. I yeah, mean, in, I, in the chaos, I don't ever in the want... Yeah. Yeah. 
and I can't imagine. I mean, you just see it. So it's so more prevalent now that there's so many more homeless people. And um, yeah, you well, a lot of people didn't come. A lot of people didn't prepare for COVID and have, you know, a year or two years amount of, you know, either rent or mortgage payments or whatever put in the bank. <laughs> yeah, not many that I know would have had that. Many people live month to month, and you don't think yeah. they're going to be in that situation. But when COVID hit, people just, you know, that didn't ever think they were going to be homeless or on the streets now, right. you know. And yeah. so when I came back here in 2010, um, I had been out there, people watch my YouTube video, um, people been out there, um, and somebody left a sleeping bag, and I got it. Well, I didn't need it because I was able to find a place that night, and this guy talked me into going to that place. So I, I towed that sleeping bag with me all the way back on the Greyhound, you know. And when it got here, of course, I'm in Minnesota. People are freezing to death outside. So I did a coat and boots and hats and mittens and, you know, blanket and everything drive. And I ended up getting, like, um, three vanfuls of stuff. And I knew of a place I volunteered at when I was 15, which is a mission in Minneapolis over south. And so I brought all, I talked to these people and bringing all this stuff over there. And and we were dropping it off, and I guess I thought the people that were getting it out of the van were going to be all excited. Well, they weren't. They were kind of bummed. And then I realized, I know why, is because those people were volunteers who were court-ordered to work there. Oh, really? <laughs> so they had to bring it all in. You know, we, we would have brought it in, but they don't let you pass the door. You know, they got to do it. And so they brought it all in, and they had to sort it all. You know, <laughs> I'm sure the people that got it were very grateful. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, you would think. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I'd like to do it this year too. You know, um, but what I did the last time I was going to this group called Celebrate Recovery, and it's through the church that's got I don't know, like covering people and then it's got um, some depression groups and different things and anyway they gave out free meals before the group so they had a lot of people there and uh, I talked to the minister or whoever that was you know ahead of the church whatever and asked them if I could have a room over there and they gave me a room where people could bring donations and drop them off that's how I got so much stuff it's word of mouth you know and people just don't realize how much a pair of gloves or a hat or, you know, even those, like, hand warmer things that you can stick in your gloves to warm your hands up. How much that stuff means to people that are out, you know, on the street. Yeah. You know, people would give, like, Salvation Army goodwill, and that's all fine. I'm not putting that down. But the thing is, is that people that have no money and are homeless, <laughs> they can't afford to they can't. Salvation Army. <laughs> You know, yeah, right. you might think it's cheap. You know, for a person that's middle class, two, three bucks for a shirt, less than it used to be. You know, ain't nothing. But to a homeless person, it's a lot. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I tell oh, somebody, I, I said, yeah, you know, when I was, out there, I was out there on the street, I says, you know, I was grateful that I could find a building to duck behind for five minutes to get out of the wind. But I knew I couldn't yeah. stay there very long because I didn't even have a dollar in my pocket. And I could have got arrested for vagrancy if you don't have a dollar in your pocket. Right. 
they can arrest you. Mm. So I knew I couldn't stand there too long. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I guess I never knew that. Yeah. They ask, actually ask so, you how much money you have? Yeah. Huh. And then they get big signs up all over. Um, um, no public bathrooms. You have to be a patron. <laughs> it's a bathroom, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to buy something. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And if you got no money, <laughs> where do you go to the bathroom? So yeah, everyone's hanging out at the library. You know, at the library, so they go to the bathroom yeah. and people fall asleep there and they're waking people up. <laughs> but, like, there's yeah, no place to fall. You know, have you heard of some of, you know, places that do, like, if you come in and you work in the restaurant and they'll give you a meal, a meal for the day or... They've got yeah, some I, of those going. Yeah, yeah. And then there's They're a place out there in St. Paul where they have like a day center thing to them. The homeless can go there or anybody really that wants to. And you can hang out all day long and then they do a lottery for, for beds for the night. Oh. Okay. And so you put your name in and and uh, if you get in there, if you get there early, you know, and you get your name in right away. Like when I was out in Houston, um, they they open the doors at ten o'clock at night, and then you go in there and wait, and uh, um, pretty much be in a line. And if you got in there early enough, you pretty much you know assured a bed. But but if you didn't get in there right away, you know there might have been a chance you would get one. But when I was there, pretty much everybody that came got it. Well, I wouldn't say a bed, a, a little mattress, thin little mattress that was on the ground. And, uh, um, but you got a blanket, you know, and then I used, um, the sleeping bag I'd gotten before that. I, um, just, I had another pair of clothes that I would ball up and use for pillows, you know, and you can't carry mm-hmm. too much because you got to drag it around all day from like, they kick you out at eight in the morning and, you know, yeah, walk around all day. But there was one place in Houston that, um, you could go and, they give you like an orange jumpsuit, kind of like you're in jail. But they give you orange jumpsuit, oh, really? and then and then you can do your laundry there. Like if you got one pair of clothes, you know, okay. if you got two, you just yeah. put your other pair on. But otherwise, they give you a jumpsuit, and then you can wash your clothes there. And then they had help with getting jobs, and and just you know a lot of resources there. But the thing is, a lot yeah. of people don't know about these places. Right. You know, you can. Get Bus tokens to get jobs, but you've got to meet with a worker to between a certain time and a certain time. And, you know, it's hard to keep track of all these schedules, but I found this one place because uh, the um, there was one place that gave out, like, bologna sandwiches, you know, which was, like, bologna and two pieces of bread, like, that's it, you know, right. butter and salt on it. Right, yeah. And, you know, well, that was okay, though, you know, in the orange. And so, anyway, that was okay. But then I found this other place. There's like those cafeteria trays that has like seven slots, you know, and every single one of them had a hot, you know, dish, kind of a dish, you know, and each one of them, and I was like, man, I hit the jackpot here. <laughs> and, and that's where I was going every day. You know, I had to walk quite a ways to get there, but it was no big deal because you have to walk anyway, you know. So I went there, right, you and there was a guy at the very end that was just like a cheerful as all hell. It was just great because that was the last person that you get to where he's, he's putting the last, you know, thing of food on your plate. And uh, just really cheerful. Well, when I ended up, 
was in the library on the computer, and this guy comes running in, I knew from being out there, Victoria, get out here, they're giving away stuff. So I go out there, and they were giving out uh, two big cans of that chunky soup with the flip top, you know, and a plastic spoon. It was like, awesome. So I'm just chowing it down, you know, because I'm hungry. And anyway, um, I turn around looking and got a burner out there, one of those, burn, you know, tall burners, round oh. cylinders. Yeah. And uh, anyway, yeah. they were warming up the food. I'm like, oh, yeah, so I go do that. And I put my feet up because my feet are freezing. And a guy comes over and says, hey, don't put your feet so close to that. You're going to melt your tennis shoes. <laughs> I didn't even thought about that. I'm just thinking about getting my feet <laughs> But they yeah. were handing out socks and they were handing out, yeah, they were handing out sleeping bags, all kinds of stuff. And uh, really nice people, and that's that's who did the interview out there, you know, for the yeah. for the YouTube. Thing. Yeah, and what they did is they put YouTube videos on, and they raised money to help um, uh, the homeless with housing and getting haircuts, yeah. and, and then they videotape people like what they look like before and then after when they got out of getting their haircut and their beard shaved and yeah. <laughs> completely different people, you know. <laughs> And then right. one guy they brought to this apartment, they said, I want you to meet this guy. And they brought him through the whole apartment. And they were showing him the apartment. And the, the refrigerator is full of food and their dishes and all this stuff, you know. And they said, oh, boy, we're still waiting for this guy to show up. And, oh, you're going to really like him, this and that, you know. And they're showing him around. And they go, what do you think of this place? He goes, oh, man, this is wonderful. And he goes, well, it's yours. We rented it for um, a year for you. And we got your job set up and everything oh. that's in the cupboards and the refrigerator is yours. And we're going to make sure you got yeah. food for the year, too. So that's, that's, that's awesome. what they do with the money they raised. Yeah, they they set people up, you know. Yeah, yeah oh, but that okay. guy was like, not, was speechless, you know, when they said, yeah, yeah this is yours. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Hey, let's make, yeah. um... It looks like we have Ruby on the line now. Oh, so I'm going to go ahead and oh, great. On. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Hello. Hey, Ruby. Hello. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Well, nobody got in touch with me, so I didn't realize that it was still for tonight. So I'll oh, well, they didn't. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. Well, we're glad that it's on now because we've just been talking a little bit about our experiences of homelessness. And I know um, my co-host, Victoria, is on with us as well. And she um, has has had a lot more experience with that than I have. But um, we would just love to hear about your story. So if you want to share something about child abuse, you are welcome to. If you wanted to just talk about your um, ministry or your um, organization, um, however you want to do it. So we just want to give the show over to you. <laughs> you can start with I think it's well, uh, okay, let me just introduce myself. My name is Ruby Clark, and my organization is called Ruby's Vision, Inc. Um, Ruby's Vision was built on uh, basically my life. That's why it's called Ruby's Vision. Um, So uh, Ruby's Vision um, organization 
It is uh, tailored to um, mothers and their children who are affected by homelessness. Uh, This day and time, um, a lot of people think that being homeless means that you are an addict, and um, that's not always the case. My story started back when I was 14 years old. Um, Actually, it started way before then, but I didn't know um, what homelessness was. I didn't know what molestation was. I didn't know what uh, domestic violence was, um, grooming, all of those different things. Um, So I had a baby at 13. My mother died Mm -hmm. when I was 14. Uh, 15, I was homeless. 16, I experienced I experienced domestic violence. Uh, by 17, I was strung out on uh, crack cocaine. Oh. Oh. Now, did you keep your baby, or did your baby go up for adoption? Well, that's part of the story. Yes, I kept my baby. Um. We kept our babies because me and my twin sister both had babies three weeks apart. Oh, did you? Wow. And uh, so, <laughs> so that's where the uh, the homelessness started when my mother died. Um, in the um, landlord, first of all, we couldn't stay uh, in the apartment by ourselves because we was underage. And my aunt stayed, and who was uh, probably like ten years older than we were, and um, irresponsible, so she couldn't keep the apartment. Um, she didn't pay the bills, and so we became homeless. Um, so me and my sister were separated, and uh, we eventually went after a couple of years of being homeless and uh, started drinking and partying and acting as children because that's what we were still children. Yeah. We we were children living um playing dress up, I guess you might want to say, grown ups. And uh so we got what grown ups got. And uh we weren't able to handle it. But um so Ruby Vision that's what I do um, because I I tell a lot of my clients that I wish I'd have had a ruby in my life because I didn't understand um, the things that I understand now and trying to give back to the community to help young women and older women because a lot of uh, homelessness also is uh, a product of uh, mental health, sex trafficking, domestic violence, and so forth. But our our focus today is only on substance abuse. I'm not, not only, but that's the majority. That's where the opioid epidemic and everything like that. And um, I'm from Patterson, New Jersey. I live in Bogota, New Jersey now, but Patterson is where my organization is. And I started that over there in Patterson because I knew that's where the need was to get services 
to try to help mm-hmm. these women and children to get off the street. You don't see many women and children on the street because they are invisible. The reason... And what do you mean by that? Yeah. A lot of women, uh, young women uh, that are homeless because we're staying at our sister's house on the couch or a boyfriend's house, um, uh, that we're not homeless. We don't want to go get help because if we are... um, if we're struggling with substance abuse or domestic violence and stuff like that, then we, we put our children at risk to t- be taken from us. So we don't want people to know. So we, uh, what they call it, couch surfing. Yeah. But they couch surf, um, and, and then it's easy, um, then a lot of women go in and out of shelters and things like that. Any place where your name is not on the lease, it's not your apartment, it's not your house, you're considered homeless. Uh, men, uh, men, it's easier to get men into a shelter, into housing, to get services than there is for women because a lot of women don't understand that they are homeless until they are unsheltered. Mm-hmm. And once they're unsheltered, they are usually sleeping in a car, or something with their children. They they are up there invisible because we don't see them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is where I come in at. I want to break the stigma on homelessness and also bring awareness to this special population because the um, women. The uh, percentage of homelessness are is definitely higher with men, but our women are most vulnerable and also invisible. So um, where it comes to um, what, what they do every year is called the point in uh, time homeless count. You, there's only maybe 2% of the homeless women population that will come out and mention that they are homeless. Say that again. Sexual abuse. I was going to say kind of the same way when it comes to your, to sex, being sexual abuse. I mean, there's a stigma of, and then you automatically think it's your fault. And so you don't want, you know, that to be spotlighted on you. And so, so many people don't tell, you know, just like you're talking you, you about being homeless. You're absolutely right. Um, uh, another uh, problem that we're having today, which I never knew as a young woman, that we had, um, I live in Jersey, so um, we didn't, I didn't realize that the sex trafficking was so um, so large here. And what we found out um, in research um, is that most sex trafficking and human trafficking is being um, participated from our homes. Yeah. 
So these these are um, topics that must be addressed. It is 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 vital that we have these things bring brought to the open and make everyone aware of these things because it it is it's happening at right under our noses and we don't we don't recognize it. So we have to be more conscious of the signs that you know in the schools. Our children are going to school and then going home and um, doing things that they don't want to do, but they have to do because of circumstances, and we need help. We have young girls going to jail for prostitution, and the bottom line is they're not prostituting themselves because they want to, but because they have to. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. human trafficking, sex trafficking. Yeah. This is yeah. Victoria, and uh, I just want to comment, too. I, I used to speak with a guy for uh, both of us were um, in uh, systems of prostitution. Um, I was prostitution, pornography. Um, but anyway, the guy said that when he was young and stuff, he was on the street um, and and had to do prostitution to survive. And he was like 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. He said, you know, people would like either just look at it disgustingly or buy him, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said, not one person stopped to um, ask if they could help. And oh. it just choked me up, you know, that that that's the case. Nobody, that's you know. Of, that's sad because, you know, that's part of my story. And when I go out to speak, I usually mention that because um, um, I mentioned earlier that um, I had been molested as a, a young a young girl, and um, and it went on for several years. Um, I don't think that I wasn't penetrated, mm-hmm. but I was fondled and 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 things of that sort. So what happened is my body has started to change and my um my behavior started to change and I grew up in um the project and you know, the older people would notice uh things about me the way I acted. I didn't know, I didn't notice any uh changes, but the older people did. But now back to what you said people seeing things and they would call me names. Right. And I was just a young girl and they would call me names. But if you notice something happening to a child, if you're around the child or you see them quite often and they're starting to change and things like that, instead of, um, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use, talking down to them or anything, can you can is there anything you need help with? Do you need to talk to somebody? Um, do you would you like to talk to me? Nobody nobody wanted to help, but right. everybody caused more harm. Yeah, and that 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 is a sad that is so sad. And then I have another woman who I just talked to uh, over Thanksgiving, who. Um, is trying to get sober and she was 
I mean, she asked me if um, she was a prostitute because um, this guy said that she could stay at her ho- his house because she, you know, is trying to get sober and need a place to stay. And, and of course, he started being sexual with her, right? And I said, no. I said, all you're doing is trying to stay sober. I said, a decent guy would invite you over to their house and not make advances on you, you know. Um, and this happens a lot with people trying to get sober. If You know, especially a lot of young women I've met in the program, um, you know, these, these guys know that they don't have a place to stay, and they say, come on over and stay at my place. And then they're taking advantage of them. And, of course, that makes the girl feel like crap, and she's out using it again, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely like said, right. A decent guy would not would say, come stay at my house with my coach and not be making advances and not be expecting that for, quote, pay to stay on their coach. To be honest with you, you will probably find uh, two gentlemen out of a hundred that mm-hmm. would offer them some place to stay without making advances. Um, yeah. We send people, I send different women um, and, and men to, to, to treatments for uh, substance abuse. I'm also a recovery um, specialist. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, uh, Ruby's Vision, we not only help homeless women and children, but our resource center helps everyone, and that's uh, homeless people at risk of homelessness, um, people looking for treatment, um, housing, um, different things, you know, um, help try to get them electric, the electric bill paid and things like that. You know, so we do, a, uh, it's a wraparound program. To be honest with you, that's yeah. Because I, it's not just the one issue of homelessness. There's so many more things that that are around that. Um, trying to help people get jobs when they don't have the clothes to go even for an interview. You know, that's you, right. That's you right. Know, and, 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 and that's all mm-hmm. But nobody is paying with a lot of that. I'll let you tell more about it. Well, yes, we we do. I'm um, actually um, I'm having <laughs> I, I had a mix up this week, so on Saturday I'll be doing two two different events. One of the events I'm collaborating with uh, different organizations, and we're doing a outreach. The outreach um, organizations we come together and um, once or twice a year, and this is one of our biggest um, outreaches. But we give out food, coats, gloves, um, um, everything, everything, different people, different tables for different things. So we do that, and I do that. Um, I have clothes and food and different um, services inside the, or up the resource center. But on Saturday, we'll be doing an outreach in the morning. And then from there, I'll be doing a flea market holiday, a holiday flea market. And that's mm-hmm. where people that don't have too too much money or anything like that. So my vendors 
will be lowering all their prices to uh, benefit people with not much money. So the the fundraiser is really to grow funds for Ruby's vision as well because we're not um, funded by the state or the city is um, organized. So I don't get any money. Yeah, I have a grassroots organization. That's the way I am as well. Um, and and one of the things I did as a big clothing drive, I was I was uh, um, telling Kim uh, uh, earlier that um, when I first got out of being homeless in Houston, Texas, and came back to Minnesota, I had a sleeping bag somebody gave me, you know, and I started out with that, and I went to a church and asked them for a room, and I got enough coat, hats, gloves, everything you know, blankets, and it, we had three tri- We had three bandfuls of stuff we, we brought over to a mission I worked at when I was 15, and, um, you know, I thought they'd be all excited about getting this stuff, but I realized afterwards the people that were unloading the vehicles were people that were, like, court-ordered to volunteer, and that's why <laughs> they were real drunk because they had to take it all out of the vehicles and bring it in and sort it, you know, but... Um, <laughs> And I'm sure the people that got it were real happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's, a, it's, it, it's it's really hard, you know. And um, today, um, I have so now I also teamed up with a uh, a medical service, and what what we do is because the opioids in um, Jersey. Uh, particularly, uh, particularly Patterson, the opioid uh, epidemic is is just horrible. I'm I'm in an area where that is it's called the fourth ward, and the fourth ward is one of the worst wards in Patterson, and um, it's just so sad because um. The opioids, you know, um, everybody is focusing on the opioids. However, we have um, other people that is struggling with substance abuse, and it's not opioids. So if you are uh, crack cocaine or uh, cocaine or marijuana, um, there's no detox for that. Um so going into a lot of these facilities, you have to go and be detoxed first. Now, yeah. if there's no detox for crack cocaine and things like that, and once they get there to the, to the shelter um, or treatment and they they take their urine and their urine comes up dirty, then they'll be, they, they'll be kicked out. Like that, oh my God. But what do we do if I can't if I can't detox? So if I can't detox, you know, the bottom line is I'm still an addict. I'm still Mm -hmm. using, and I'm probably uh, more than not using my body to get the uh, money to get the drugs. Yeah. And then the more you do that, the more drugs you need to do that. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, and, and it's always a revolving door. 
I had a meeting yesterday, and I uh, was speaking to some uh, uh, shareholders and um, clergy, and what are we going to do about uh, homes, shelters? We need emergency shelters because now with the pandemic, the COVID, um, the COVID-19, everywhere you go, you have to be tested. And that means if I go and get tested or get my shots, say if I get tested today and um, I come up negative, but I can't get into the shelter because now by the time I want to take the COVID test and things of that sort, all the beds are full. So I got to stay outside another night. So what do I do? While I'm outside, I'm going to get high. Yeah. And more than likely, I'm going to be around somebody that may, um, I may be exposed to COVID. Right. You know, right. it's, it's, it's sad. So even, with alcohol, even with alcohol, people, you know, people that they're detoxing, they have, they have medical people that you know, like in Minnesota, we've got detox, and they got they they check you medically out first because depending on the amount of alcohol or drugs you're using, you are going to need medical care to come off down that stuff. You know, you know, um, and now we're one of the top. drinking <laughs> or using alcohol. You're alcohol is the most dangerous drug of of them all. Yeah, to just quit. Yeah, yeah it, it is the most dangerous. However, right, um, you can get detox from that. When we talk about uh, crack cocaine and stuff like that, that's on the street, right? We talk about marijuana now, but if it's sold on the street, um, there's a 9% chance a hundred i mean a seventy five percent chance that the cocaine or the marijuana is laced with fentanyl right the other so, thing I've noticed too is people are afraid to get help because they're using illegal substances and they're afraid to get help because they're afraid they're going to get arrested for using illegal substances so well that we don't have that problem here. In Jersey, we, we don't have that because if you want to get help um, and you, you call for help, there will be no um, repercussions for that. However, right. but a, lot of, a lot of addicts don't know that. You know, a lot of people that are using don't know that information. Well, it, it, it needs to be more broadened. Um, homelessness is, is is just such a big um, worldwide worldwide problem, and we need to get even getting people um, trying to help people to get clean, to get sober, and things of that sort. We're putting people in treatment, and 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 then they're coming home, and if they don't have a place to stay, then they're going to go right back to the streets. And if they go back to the streets, then they're going to get high again. But how about when we put in people in treatment um, in the shelters and things like that? Case management 
needs to help these people to identify with the issues that that got them there. We're not doing that. See, see, like me, mine started when I was four years old. I'm 57. When I started being um, a founder, I was four years old. None of these things was addressed until recovery, which I almost got seven years clean. So for 50 years, almost 50 years, um, nobody has ever addressed the issues that um, led me to using drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I go to, uh, you know, I go to recovery meetings. I've got 36 years sober, and I talk about my abuses related to alcohol and drugs, you know. And I have people sometimes after the meeting, why do you keep talking about your child abuse? Why do you keep talking about being a better woman than this and that? And when are you going to quit talking about that? You know, you've got enough sobriety that you'd be over it. And I said, I'll tell you when I quit talking about it, and they lean in because they can't wait to hear. And I said, well, as soon as nobody comes up to me after a meeting or during the week or the next meeting and says, I'm glad you talked about that because I've been trying to get sober for years, and nobody's talking about the abuse. Can I call you? Can I talk to you? You know, and you stay after the meeting for a few minutes so we can talk, you know. They say well, that's why you going out. I'm going to tell you, um, I'm, I'm also, um, I'm a member of a 12-step program. And uh, it's people like you that help save my life. Yeah. So I, I want to say uh, my hats off to you from sharing your story and your truth because it does. When we share our truth and we share our stories, we save lives. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on the show because uh, um, you don't realize how many people this is going to help. There are so many people in situations that never get to hear their stories or even parts of their stories told. And when they identify it, they realize they're not alone, you know, and that was my big thing. I thought I was alone because nobody was talking about it, you know. And that's why I do talk about it. I say we I get up and say I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, but drugs and alcohol are not my pro- were not my problem. They were my solution. You know, oh. if you say, I'm like, what the hell are you doing up there? <laughs> you know what? Uh, I'm really tired and I forgot about. I didn't forget, but I figured that it wasn't gonna happen because nobody had got in touch with me. But I'm I'm so glad that I got a chance to to speak with you guys. Um, you know, this is important, and we need to tell people about how it happened. See, we didn't just wake up one day, and I'm going to say me, I didn't wake up one day and became a drunk or a crackhead. I, it, it, it didn't just start like that. It was a reason, um, and, and, and guess what? It wasn't about the drugs and the alcohol. I didn't come, when I became homeless, I wasn't using drugs. Mm-hmm. When I became pregnant at 13, I wasn't using drugs. Can I ask how that came about, that that you got pregnant? Uh, it wasn't no rape. 
It was my boyfriend, yeah. um, an older guy. Um, what happened is, he, not only uh, did I suffer, we come from a family of addiction. And uh, there wasn't much uh, parenting going on. Um, my mother was, uh, she died of alcoholism. She had an acute heart attack. Um, and where I grew up at, um, having a boyfriend age, I mean, people did say things about it. You know, it wasn't that it was out in the open. We snuck around and things like that. My mother didn't know that I was, um, I had had sex. Because the first time it was, you know, but the reason why it was so easy for me to do that um, is because I had already um, experienced the feeling, not, um, I like I said, I, I was never penetrated as a baby, but I wasn't afraid, put it that way, uh-huh. to have sex because, um, and also I knew that I was people pleasing. I wanted to be a part of, of, of the crowd and this is what everybody else was doing. And, but everybody that I hung around was much older than I, but that's what right. they were doing. And I right. wanted to be a part of, so I had to do what they were doing. And my mother had. So, um, did you have did you have any role models in your life? Do you think? Because I know I didn't. My whole family I, were drug addicts and alcoholics. I, I I can't say that I did. My grandmother, she had left uh, Jersey when before you know when we were really young. Um, she used to come up and visit until my mother died, and uh, when she died, like I said, we was fourteen years old. And my grandmother wanted us to go to Florida with her, and we refused to go. Um, at the time, we had babies. We didn't want to go, and I remember them saying that if we didn't go with our grandmother, they was going to take our babies and put them into uh, foster care until we was old enough to take care of them on our own. Uh-huh. And I had an aunt that stayed in Jersey so we wouldn't go in the shelter. Wow. And they wouldn't have babies. But however, she was not stable enough to take care of us. But right. she cried. And but she was an addict as well. We all got high together. Mhm. And and so that's definitely generational. Know. Yeah. Uh huh. So um, when my mother died, we was only uh, 14 years old. Um, my aunt was only like, and, and she's dead now. She died. My mother died at 34. She had a stroke at 34, and she died around 50. But um, that was our story. My father was an alcoholic. Um, um, he was sick. Um, he's, he's part of my, my story. And, um, 
he ends up, he's married down south with his other family. And he used to come back and forth, but I guess the older he got, he just never came back. And um, so we, I, I dealt with abandonment issues, um, assaults, domestic, uh, all kinds of assaults. And um, I'm just thankful that um, to tell my story to different people um, in different areas, you know, because mine, I, I could touch every. <laughs> Oh, my story is very diverse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I spoke in front of some social workers along with that guy who had been on the streets when he was a kid, you know. And uh, we got all these, we always passed out papers to get responses to what people thought of our, you know, talk. And uh, we got all these wonderful reviews. And we got one lady that was a social worker because we were speaking in front of social workers. One lady wrote, there's no way all that stuff could have happened to them and they, you know, are talking so well and, you know, this and that and everything. And I was so bummed for like a week. Yeah. So I went to, went to my therapist. I said, oh, my God, I got this review and this and that. And she goes, well, how many people were there? I go, well, 60. And how many responses you get? I don't know, about 60, you know. And she said, and you got one that you thought was negative? And I go, Yeah. She says, well, why are you focusing on that one and not the 59 that were positive? Come on now, and that's right. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Right. You know, and that really made me aware for when I go speaking and stuff, if I get, you know, like, why are you talking about this and stuff? You know, it outweighs the the positive outweighs, even like I say, if one person, I help one person with something I say, one, one sentence helps somebody, even to not feel alone. To me, it's worth it. It's definitely yeah. worth it. You know, um, I, and, and I always say this, you know, some of the things that I know today, and, and I'm talking about uh, it took, because the first time I went into treatment, I was 25 years old. The next time I got clean, clean, because I realized today that alcohol is a drug, but when I stopped using uh, crack cocaine and, and, and cocaine, I thought that I was good. I thought I was okay. And, you know, it's legal and it's sociable and, and things like that. And I didn't really know that um, I had heard it. I had already heard that, but it didn't really... Um, I didn't really focus on it because mm. I I felt that I could do it and I can be okay. As long as I don't pick up the drugs, I would be okay. However, at the end of the road, it was the alcohol that almost killed me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that a lot. Yeah. And, and alcohol and drugs are just, those are the, um, those are the symptoms of the underlying problem. So I would oh, say yes. getting, Stopping drugs and alcohol was easy. Living on life's terms, that's where it became difficult. Life's <laughs> terms is remembering the abuse. That's, that's right. I that's to right. Cover it. Yeah. Oh, God, that's so right. That's so true. But, you know, um, again, sharing what, what we've been through, you know, and it's not easy. It's not easy um, 
coming up here um, and, and, and telling people what has happened to me uh, when I was a little girl and, and having a baby at 13. When I was, when I had my daughter, you know, I would never tell people my age because I didn't, I knew that they were judging me. I, ne- I right. always put my age up because um, I knew that they were judging me. Mm-hmm. Until I got too old, then I was like, "Wait a minute, enough is enough." <laughs> but um, well, I was I was afraid to speak in churches, you know, because I felt that I was going to be judged too. But you know, when I did talk about being used of prostitution and pornography, and I had people come up to me, you know, in incested and in sexual abuse at very young age and all that, and people start coming up to me and saying, you know. I belong to the church and there's no way that I could talk about what happened in my family because my family members are church members and I'll never be able to tell anybody, but I feel I could tell you because, you know, um, I just feel like you're a safe person to tell, you know, That's I can't fine. tell anybody in the church and, and it just, you know, it blew me away that, that I could be of some sort of service and, and help people from all walks of life, you know. Because you don't know where people came from. We we don't, don't know. And you know that the the um, blessing for me is that I'm able to talk about it now. And you know because I was always so afraid of people judging me and 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 things of that sort that I didn't want to tell the whole truth. You know I always gave people. Um, my family, my uh, our children and stuff like that, they, you know, they all grown now and they laugh about um, me and my sister talking about, you know, you know, trying to tell the kids about, you know, drugs and stuff like that, you know, and telling them that we were on drugs and, you know, they get blown away because of the honesty. See, if people would have been honest with me, or told us something, or even tried to explain, you know, tried to understand why was I doing, acting the way I was acting, or, you know, feeling the way I was feeling. If anybody would have asked any questions, right. I might have cared enough to say, like that guy said, nobody ever said, can I help you? Sincerely, can I help you? Sincerely. Like you said, now that you have this organization that you're sincerely asking people, how can I help you, you know? Right. And I'd say, you need to do this and you need to do that, but how can I help you? What that's would you it. Like? That's right. That's, yeah. that's the hit right there. And, and, and it's going to make a, a difference when, um, just like this right now, this, this is very powerful, but we need more of us to, mm-hmm. um, more of us to reach more people, you know, exactly. um, we can't, we can't reach the whole world. We can't reach the whole world. So we need individually, but, but we can as, you know, a group of people by, um, you know, look, I would say, let's look at our commonalities rather than our differences, you know? Right. That's right. That's right. And let's join forces together because like you well, said, the networking with, I'm really uh, glad to hear that you've got a group of, you know, organizations that are networking to do something. They had a big thing out in Minneapolis when I first came from being homeless. And one of the things, a lot of the stuff you're talking about they had there, but one of the things they had there 
with a whole bunch of glasses. And you could try it in glasses and have glasses I couldn't read, you know, because I couldn't see nothing. And I hadn't been able to get to the eye doctor. They had a whole bunch of glasses you could try on, and they had a thing you could read. Pick out a pair of glasses, you know, and you wouldn't believe how much that changes your life because you could just read on paper. Well, guess what? I have I have glasses at my um at my office as well. Yeah, people donate That's their glasses and stuff like that for people that can't get to the eye doctor. You're right. Think something simple as that you would not believe because and 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 being on the street and 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 drugging and whatever for such a long time it starts to take away um our our health starts to deteriorate you know yep. we um we're connected now with a medical service and they help people like because of the opioids their um you know their physical is really damaged so like their bones and and you know some of them can't walk and some need uh canes and and mm-hmm. braces and stuff like that. So we helped them with all that. Well, when I came back to Minnesota, I didn't have any teeth, you know. And so I was like, you know, there's just a limited amount of things you can eat when you don't have teeth, you know. Yeah. And and it was like, well, why didn't you just get teeth? Well, you know, you got to make an appointment. You got to have a, a phone for people to call you. you know, yeah, like, yeah, that's right. You know, that's right. and people don't just don't get it. You know, they just say, get a job and you'll be fine. And I worked with Better Women's Shelter for a long time, and I couldn't couldn't believe at first, but then it made sense because I, I was the same way when I went to a shelter, that one of the last things that, that women will get for themselves is a bra and underwear. And I don't know how many safety pins I had on my bras when I went into the shelter, you know, because under your garments and your kids' That's clothes right. or diapers or whatever. So I would say, let's go get you a bra, and they wouldn't even know what size they were anymore, you know, because they yeah. hadn't had them. And I knew a place where they'd go and get free shoes. They didn't know what size shoes they were because they got secondhand shoes, and they just crammed their foot into whatever, you know, That's a right. enough size. They didn't look at the size. They just, you know, here's a pair of shoes that will get me, you know, keep my feet warm for a while. Yeah, and it's just a simple thing that people just take for granted. You know, I, I like I was telling before that, you know, when when I first got here in Minnesota, you know, I was so grateful um, because when I was out in Texas homeless in 2010, um, you know, for five minutes I could duck behind a building and get out of the wind, and I was so grateful for that five minutes. But on the other hand, I couldn't stay there too long because I didn't even have a dollar in my pocket, and I could have been arrested for vagrancy. Right. You know, I That's couldn't right. get in the shelter till ten at night and then they kick you out at eight in the morning. You've got to walk around all day. And there's signs up everywhere that says you can't use restroom unless you're a paying customer. So yeah. a lot of people went to the library, you know. Yeah. And and people just don't realize it, you know. So I'm in a program and somebody'll call me in and be bitching about everything and I'll just say, you know, yeah. you need to start a gratitude list and you know, you need to put three things out a day. Oh, there ain't nothing I'm grateful for. And I says, well, I'll even help you with the first day. Write down food, shelter, and clothing, because there are people that don't even have that. I says, and from now on, you've got to really intentionally look at three things to be grateful for every day and call me. What, you know? what program are you associated with? I am in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have 
I got sober when I was 24. I'm 69. What a blessing. What a blessing. Yeah. That's, and you know, had a fantastic um, sponsor, and I thought she duped me into going to AA because I met her through the Better Women's Shelter. We were volunteering, and we went on, like, this um, weekend thing, you know, to, like, just take a break from volunteering. And, um, you know, it was getting late at night. We put the kids to bed, and people started bringing out their bottles. I'm like, hi, I don't got to hide my bottle, you know. So I went and grabbed my bottle. I thought I had to hide all weekend. And, you know, people were pouring, like, you know, a little bit of liquor and a whole bunch of pop and throwing ice in there. And, you know, and I, I ain't going to do that. So I grabbed my bottle. I started guzzling. And after about six guzzles, my friend sitting next to me. I didn't even realize she wasn't drinking, you know, because it's all about me. And, and right. she goes, Victoria, think you might be an alcoholic. And I said, oh, yeah, I am an alcoholic. And I'm one of those alcoholics that can't be helped. She said, oh, what kind of alcoholic is that? <laughs> And so Are you I serious? Wow. I, can't. I can't. So here's what she says. I'm speaking next Saturday night at the AA club, and I was wondering, come listen to my story because I need somebody in the audience to look at that, you know, because it's going to be really hard for me to tell my story. And so mm-hmm. I went there, and as we're walking in the club, everybody's going, hi, Kay, hi, Kay, hi, Kay, hi, Kay. Well, the woman, my friend, was in a wheelchair. And I was a ride there and a ride home. So like, I got freaking duped. You know, I'm going to sit here and listen to her sober. And, you know, she's my friend, so I couldn't drink. I only drank on the weekends. See, I was not an alcoholic because I just drank on the weekends. Well, I was an uh-huh. alcoholic. You know, I took care of my kids. But I thought I'd leave them at my grandparents' house Friday afternoon till, like, Monday morning. You know, uh-huh. abandoning uh-huh. all that time. It took me years to figure that out after I got uh-huh. sober, you know, but, um, but she told her story and I cried through the whole thing. And I can tell you one thing she said, but I knew that I could really relate to her. And I found out later, she did really need me there. I didn't get duped. She needed me there because she had never told her battered woman's story surrounding her alcoholism. And wow. I said, how long do you have sober? And she says, eight years. And I go, holidays too? And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, God, that's a tough program. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. You know what? I, I'm gonna I gotta go. I have to go to work in the morning. This is awesome and I hope that we can do this again. Um I'm I'm a part of uh NA. Okay. Yeah, the the NA as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I yeah, so I have um I've been around for about thirty years, however, um, in and out and things of that sort. Um I always stayed connected but I really didn't participate. So now I have uh in April I'll have seven years clean. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, when I got my thirty six years I didn't write down how many 24 hours I have, like some people do. I, I Googled how many seconds did I have because I tell everybody, doesn't matter how much time I got, all I got is this moment. That's all any of us have. That's it. That's right. And, and That's I didn't do all those 24 hours at a time. I did all those one moments at a time. And every moment I had to decide not to pick up. There's a lot of moments. Well, I'm going to go. Um, you have my Could telephone. You tell us? 
you could you quick tell us how to get a hold of your organization again or to okay, you? So, so the organization is uh Ruby's Ruby Prosophy S Vision V I S I O N Inc. I N C period. Um we are the resource center is located in Patterson, New Jersey. The telephone number there is 856-543-9996. My email address is Ruby Clark R R is in Robert V is in Victor I is in N at gmail.com. My website is rubiesvision.org. And you're on Facebook as well, right? Yes, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, other social media. Um, Are you on any other social media sites where people can find you? Yes, I'm on Instagram and um, and I'm on LinkedIn. And that's all under Ruby Clark. Oh, Ruby Clark. Ruby Clark um, Facebook page and also Ruby's Vision Facebook page. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate being on and your work and is amazing. And you are fantastic and uh, you're a warrior woman and a you know, survivor against unbeatable odds. And I'm sure, sure glad that we got a chance to hear your story as well. I'm glad that if, if I can just if I can just interrupt for a second before she leaves, Victoria. By the way, yes. all those seconds, even on even on holidays, you can take. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that too. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Um, I just wanted to say thank you, thank you for showing up. I called I called and you were surprised because you hadn't received the normal calls that you get. Nor did you get um, an opportunity to really send me a bio, so I I just sent you an email that uh, asked you to provide it now, even though it's, you know the show's gone. But I'll 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 post it in the right place for the show. We had a short description of the show, but not everything. So if you would do that, I appreciate it. But listen, you can come back anytime. You you this was a great show. I really thought it was a wonderful show. Don't you? I, I really do, and um, I, I, I got to tell you, I was at all no because I had just uh, got ready for bed, and um, <laughs> after a long day. But um, I did, you know, I I really wanted to do it. It's just that I hadn't heard anything. But I definitely um, will come back. Um, and I'll send you over the bio. I'm yeah. not. I'm not good in writing bios, so I'll do my no, no. best with you that. You don't have to be. I sent you instructions, and it's very simple. If you follow directions, um, and I fix it up for you, you don't have to worry about it. All right? Oh, okay. <laughs> I talk better than edit- I write. <laughs> no, I'm an editor anyway, so I I fix everybody's bios, and they come out pretty nice. So, yeah, um, but okay. you have a lot to offer. And uh, especially with somebody like Victoria, who can who has the same kind of experience, it's wonderful to hear you guys. And I know. Hear you share your experiences and hope. 
We're all sober, by the way, too. You know, Carol and I, I mean, uh, uh, Victoria and I and Carol and you. <laughs> so there's a lot yeah. of sobriety around, too. And so we identify on that level as well. Right. Uh, and that's, and and that's awesome. awesome. It is awesome. You feel free to come back anytime you want by just calling in on the, any show using the same phone number. And uh, we would love to have you. All right? Okay. So I was also going to say, Ruby, um, I've, I've gone to NA in the past, too, you know, and I've had, because I'm on psychiatric meds and had people tell me I wasn't sober because I'm on psychiatric meds, you know. And, oh, and my, right. response, my response to that is, are you a doctor? And they'll say, well, no. And I'll say, well, I think you're dispensing uh, medical advice without a license. I think that's illegal. And then I said, <laughs> My, you know my what? Doctor says I, my doctor says I have to be a psychiatric medicine, so I'll double check it with him. Uh-huh. You know what? I, I'm, I'm definitely going to come back on because I, I really would, would like to uh, to top, um, touch that topic. I was just in yes. a meeting um, yesterday, and it was um, about uh, harm reduction and the MAP program and things like that. Um, and I had to... I'm not keeping you guys, right? I just want to share this with you. So, no, no. being uh, a member of a 12-step program, Narcotics Anonymous, it really had, when I did uh, took my trainings for to become a recovery specialist, and my uh, professor, he says to me, he says, Ruby, you know you're pretty biased. Well, I'm going to tell you, I didn't know what bias meant, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I found out, and I and and I remember because now I when I got clean, I started working in a recovery center, and in the recovery center was my uh, sponsor also worked there. She didn't know that she didn't know that we were facilitating groups in a recovery center as we was we would be um having a narcotics anonymous meeting. Right. And and that's how I end up learning so much more about the uh the MAC, the harm reductions and, and things of that sort because now I'm interested and I and the, the gentleman he heard my feelings when he called me biased. Um, and then I had to work to find out what bias meant, so that even made me more matter. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and it's not, let me tell you, and I still struggle with different things and different people or certain friends and things like that, but I've gotten much better. See, once you have an open mind, I think a lot of us in the uh, 12-step programs, have um, are, are closed-minded, uh huh, and and that that's that stigma that we place on individuals is what keeps them sick, and we need to break the stigma. I agree. Well, I think I think Ruby has a lot to offer here, and uh, Victoria, you should probably stay in touch with her. But we can we can set you up with a, a show. Uh, where any topic can be brought up, and we'll just let you know what show that is, and you can call in on that day. You know, 
and you can bring up this topic, for example, and it'll, it'll be discussed during the show. Okay. Okay. Sounds great. I'm gonna say good night. Thank you guys. Uh, I feel like I'm home already. Thanks a lot. You are home. Welcome to the Nesca family. <laughs> okay. To the thank you family. so much. All right. All right. Okay. You have a good night now, and thanks again for your work. Keep it up. God bless you. We need that. All right. Thank you. God bless All you. Right. All right. Good night. All right, ladies. I'm gonna stay with you for the last ten minutes here, so that you don't feel alone. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think I think that was a great show. I really do. And I apologize to her that um you know none of us followed up enough to to her even you know be uh, sort of um what do you call it confirmed that this was her night right. that she and she was falling asleep when I called her. <laughs> she called in, you know, wow. and did a great job. So Ruby Clark from New Jersey, thank you so much. Ruby's Vision uh, dot org rubiesvision.org is the website and uh, she's she's doing a great job there in northern New Jersey so anyway ladies I want to thank you both Kim and Victoria for uh, having this show and uh, I thought you did a terrific job what do you think Kim Kim's been quiet yeah I know well <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I mean they just had such good conversation though and I was just listening so um, yeah they it was did. really informative yeah, they did. It. it was it was really great. Yeah. Um, oh. yeah. Well, I don't have anything I think specific it's always... to say. Just to... Go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's always funny sometimes when they they want to go. They're like ready to go, and the show's not quite over. You're going, wait a minute. <laughs> That's happened a couple <laughs> times to me. <laughs> like, no, oh, we yeah. can't leave. But then you know <laughs> they do anyway. <laughs> Oh, that's fine. We, it yeah, it, it can be nice a long time when, especially if you're planning on going to sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you get already in bed. He had called from Bill. Hey, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was already in bed, Victoria. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate yeah. her rolling over and dialing on her phone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to send her a message and thank her because I usually do if I'm on a show with somebody. I try to follow up with them and, and really thank them for being a special guest, you know. All right. Um, just so you guys know, yeah. I do have part a partial, um, you know, social, uh, partial record of her, and it would include some of that, um, I think, contact in, on Facebook and so forth. But I also have the website that she mentioned as well. So I have ways to contact her, and I'd I'll be happy mm-hmm. to hand them over to you if you if you want them. Mm-hmm. So, but I want you to have them because I think she, yeah. she and you, Victoria, especially, what a team. Sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have, have definitely a lot in common. <laughs> I kind of felt like uh, uh, Kim. I'm really sorry that I kind of blew in there. Yeah, Didn't give you much time no, to talk. Yeah. No, I enjoyed this. No, when you've got that going, I don't mind at all. I was telling Bill mm-hmm. the other day, I don't, I don't mind. If, okay. If somebody else has this connection going really good, it doesn't bother me at all. It really doesn't. Okay. Now, if it happens every single time, maybe I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. You just, yeah. Just let me know because, you know. Yeah. No, I enjoyed listening to you guys. It was, it was a good conversation, and, oh, and like I said, I, I had to come back. 
you know. Well, we loved having it, uh, having you, Kim. Kim is a really uh, copacetic type person, you know. She's she's um, really easy to get along with. She's she's easy to turn things over, and so she easily does that. So it's a pleasure to have you, Kim, on our on our not staff, but on our team, <laughs> on our in our family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was good in the beginning too, Bill, because we got to we both got to share some of our story. Um, as yeah. well with the yeah. other, and I got to know Kim a little bit better as well. So that that did work out well, I think. Oh, that's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, you're both wonderful people, and I'm so glad that you're a part of the NASCA family and, and uh, continue to volunteer. We we need volunteers, you know. I should mm-hmm. might as well tell people that are listening, you know, please, <laughs> Do your consider, <laughs> please consider giving us some time, some time, sometimes. You all have talents and so forth, and we can find – ways to take advantage of them. But we have a lot of things that we're doing now. Actually, we have a number of things that we're not doing now that we used to do. And uh, that's because we don't have enough volunteers to fill the spots. So don't worry. There's always something for you to do. And it depends on sort of your skill set and your time availability and, of course, your interest. But other than that, anybody can do these these jobs. Um, the main thing is your willingness to to make a commitment to the group and follow through on it. That's you know pretty much it. Um, but we uh, we could actually use another uh, host eventually too. Anybody that wants to get trained, let me know because we will do that and we could use one more. But I'm talking about other things, Kim and, and Victoria, that we used to do that we're not doing. For example, we used to put out a newsletter every month. Well, we haven't done that in many months because our newsletter editor. Um, you know, left us, and uh, I can do it. I was doing it originally, but I have so many other things that I'm up to. I don't want to take on that responsibility. I'd rather someone came forward, and I can train them. I can teach them. It's easy. It's, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, it's a, it's a, a package that you just fill in the blanks, you know. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, there's, there's a number of things like that. The Blue Ribbon campaign's kind of gotten quiet because the there isn't a lot of energy behind it and all kinds of things. However, you guys are... Well, I wouldn't mind picking them back up, Bill. Say again? I wouldn't mind picking up the Blue Ribbon campaign part of it. Well, okay. Um, right now, the yeah. gal that has the Blue Ribbons is in the uh, Philadelphia area. And, uh-huh. um, you know, we can ask her to pack them up and forward them to you. And she has a few other items besides the ribbons, but... Um, mm-hmm. You know, we pay. We obviously pay for the um, mailings and so forth. But yeah, you know, yeah. And and people make contributions depending on how many they want. We give them a few for free, but if they want quantities like fifty or a hundred or two hundred and fifty, there's a nominal mm-hmm. cost, and it's only to replace the ribbons. We're not making money. So right. you know, it's not that hard. Okay. No. So we could do that. That'd be great. I like mailing stuff out. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Hey, and you and know, also, I don't know if we need special guests too <laughs> for the show. We need people that willing to come on as well. Yeah. But yes, mm-hmm. we need guests absolutely. We're you know we're right up against December now, and we need to guests all through December. So please, if you're interested in telling your story, tell me right now. You know, email me tonight, and uh, we'll set you up because I think it's starting Monday. There are many shows that are marked as not yet booked on our calendar, and that means that, um, you know, we need a guest for that night. And most of 
December, we need guests so far. So that would be very helpful. Kim, did you try to say something there? Yeah, well, I was going to to the blue ribbon thing. I still, I had gotten a bunch of you, like, from you about six years ago, and I still have a few left, and I hand them out at all my classes is what I do. And so I still make it a point, you know, to, to talk about it and that this is what it's for and everything. And, um, and I, you know, represent it as this is my this is my talking point. I, how, this is how I get people talking about that's, prevention. That's great. I wear this ribbon. So, yeah. I, I've well, been that's great. That's, I didn't know you were doing that, Kim, but that's a wonderful idea. Yeah. And, and these ribbons, as you said, you can distribute them in many places. Um, you know, and it's, yeah. it's kind of uh, innocuous. It's not very, you know, you're not doing any, <laughs> you know, you're not, like there's no marching right. band involved. <laughs> so, well, the other thing, you don't have to put a huge presentation together, like Kim was saying, you just pass them out. People no. are like, well, what's the blue ribbon for? And, you know, just a little bit of an explanation about what it is. And, and uh, uh, got the NASCA contact right on there. So, you know, you could just, you don't have to do like a whole presentation like, like a lot of people no, think and, they have to do. When they get involved well, in an organization, they have to like, you know, give this huge presentation. But really, it's not... But, it's a little, every little say, thing. Every little thing yeah. includes a, a card that goes with the mm-hmm. blue ribbon and it has statistics and contact information on it. So you hand out the blue ribbon and the card to each person, and it's so simple, you know. But it's just like you say, it's it, it tells people that you're aware. And that who else? How would yeah. you know how to, who to ask unless somebody told you they were aware and they were willing? So the card, the card and the ribbon are a great idea. Um, I'll shut up because yeah. I know you guys got to get off the air, but thank you so much for being here I'm and making such a good show, ladies. Well, thank yeah, you, I Bill, for so. doing NASA because you guys have such one. You have such a wonderful website, and people really need to go on there and investigate. There's so much, so much on yeah. there that okay. that you could refer yeah. just about everybody to one point or another on it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's have a good night, everyone. Thank you, Victoria. Bye-bye now. Bye now.